0: brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. for you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette. I'm an editor at HowStuffWorks.com, and sitting across from me, as always, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland.
1: Well, you know, uh it's that old shark screen, the bubble screen. You know, sharks don't like that. It's what they uh call a uh, marine segregation.
0: Okay then.
1: That that quote comes from a uh, a movie that was in 3D. Oh, really? And it leads us to our first in a long time listener mail. This listener mail comes from Calvin and Calvin says I was thinking that with movies like Avatar – yes, I'm still talking about Avatar – and other big 3D sort of CGI movies like Alice in Wonderland, maybe a podcast on that would be fun. Anywho, keep up the good work. Calvin B. from Minnetonka, Minnesota. All right. So we're going to talk a little bit about 3D movies. Now, we've talked about 3D glasses in the past and 3D television, uh, but we really didn't go into the whole process of making a 3D film or, or 3D video. Um, and so we thought this would kind of fall into our movie-making technology series.
0: I agree, and I think it would be nice to uh, to start with a refresher about the 3D glasses because that has a lot to do with how you make a movie and the reason why you make the movie
1: the way you do. Oh, that's a good point. So let's start with talking about what makes 3D 3D in the first place. Okay. Okay, so the first thing you need to know is that we perceive depth uh, through many different uh, um, ways, but one of those ways is through what we call parallax. And parallax is the difference in viewing angle between one eye and the other eye. So if you were looking at an object that's a few feet away from you, you know, your left eye and your right eye are not, are not located exactly in the same spot. Otherwise you'd be a cyclops. Uh, so that means that your your brain is getting two sets of images that are slightly offset from each other, and it incorporates those two sets of images into a single image in your head. And so that's that's one of the ways we perceive depth. There are other ways as well, like visual cues of the size of something, and judging by the size, you kind of figure out how far away it is. And parallax only really works to a certain distance anyway. Once you get beyond, you know, I don't know, I think it's like 20 or 30 feet, parallax doesn't play. As big a role because it's getting far, the object's getting far enough away where your eyes are getting closer and closer to being parallel. Mm -hmm. So if you focus on something that is effectively an infinite distance away, and of course, that's, you know, I'm saying effectively infinite. So for example, a star out, you know, if you're looking at a starry sky, the, the distance of that object is so far away that your eyes are essentially in parallel with one another. Mm hmm. They're not converging at all. But parallax is a very important part of, uh, of getting a 3D effect, uh, especially on film or video. And um, so the idea is that you have to present two different sets of images. Uh, each set of images is going to be perceived by only the left or the right eye. And then when your brain sees, when your brain senses these two sets of images, it combines them into a single image that has the illusion of depth.
0: Well, yeah, I mean there there are two different types of uh, of 3D glasses. Of course, the older one being the anaglyph method, right. and the uh, the newer one being the polarized version. Now, right. the anaglyph was the one that had the two different colored lenses.
1: Yeah, it was either uh, red or blue or red or green. And now uh, you were saying to me earlier, uh, red and cyan is yes. sort of the the accepted color. And, uh, and the polarized ones, what that means is that the lenses are polarized to allow light that is aligned a certain way to pass through and light that's aligned in an, I think it's 90 degree, um, other alignment. That, that light will not pass through, uh, the lens. So each lens is letting one, Kind of light through and blocking the other kind.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably more sophisticated way of doing it. The anaglyph method required a a red layer and a blue or green layer uh, of the movie, so that the uh, the glasses could interpret the images correctly. Because, for example, the red lens uh, makes the other color appear darker. Right. So you see that better through that eye, and then the the blue lens is the opposite. It, it makes the uh, the red. Uh, frame Is it? Frame would be the right word. Layer, layer, layer. yeah. Just the red layer to... show up better, yeah. um, so it appears three D. And because of the the spacing between the two images, that's what gives the the illusion of depth.
1: Right. The two images are offset, and of course that's really important because if they they weren't offset, all you'd be doing is making a really lousy fuzzy image for no yes. for no good reason. Yes, which is um, kind of how it looks when you're not wearing the glasses. Yes, yes. And uh, there there is one a third type of of glasses that we should talk about, although this is. I don't think it's ever used in, in films. I, I've never been to a movie where they use this method, but that's the shutter lens method. Oh, like the active yeah, glasses? Yeah, the active glasses, which are more often used for things like computers or uh, some television systems are also experimenting with uh, active glasses. Now, active glasses require a power supply, mm-hmm. and they actually have little LCD shutters in them that shutter on and off at incredible speeds. So to you, when you're wearing the glasses, it doesn't appear like they're shuttering on and off at all, but they really are. And the images you're looking at are, uh, are, are, uh, uh, Wow. I had the word. Synchronized? Now there you go. Synchronized with each lens. Thank you. Um, yeah, that was my brain gave out on me. But yes, like the, the left lens would be synchronized with one set of images. The right lens would be synchronized with the other set of images. They would alternate those images at a speed that is uh, so fast that you can't really tell when you just look at it. And um, so, again – each eye would be getting one set of images at a certain alignment. Your brain would be putting all the information together and you get the illusion of depth. Um, Projectors have trouble with that. You have to have a projector that can, can run at an incredibly fast frame rate for that to work. Because... Uh, you're 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 shooting two different sets of images um, but not at the same time they're alternating so quickly that you have to you know you have to keep that frame rate up really really high in order to maintain that illusion mm-hmm. these other methods the polarized method and the anaglyph method you can have both sets of images on the same strip of film uh, you know it's just it's two different layers on a on a on one strip of film, so you don't have to alternate images back and forth, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and, and your brain is doing all the work here. That's the great thing, is that once, you, once you've once you developed the technology, the brain does everything else. All the special effects are uh, supplied by you. Um, however, it does mean that if you have suffered some vision loss or if you have some other uh, – Ailments, you may not be able to perceive 3D in a 3D film. Right, right. So, But you'll still need the glasses, unfortunately, because if you don't have the glasses, you're going to get that fuzzy effect that Paulette was talking about. It's going to look like two sets of images on one strip of film, and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's not a really pleasant viewing experience, as anyone who's taken glasses off during a 3D film could tell you.
0: Right, right. But the trick is, how do you actually make the movie... So that it will appear in 3D.
1: Yeah, there's, there are three main methods of doing this. Okay. Um, There's, there's converting a 2D film into 3D. Right. There's shooting a film in 3D to start with. Uh huh. And then there is using a computer generated film and then you artificially create a second camera within your CGI world and you make your film 3D that way.
0: Okay, I was kind of I was kind of lumping that in my head with the first one, which was taking the original and then doing something to it to make it 3D. Yeah, so, it's, it's, I, When you it's said 3D, I was going, okay, I don't know what the third one it's is. It's
1: kind of a bridge between the two when you think about it, because oh, sure, you're, sure. you're creating a virtual camera, so in a way, it's acting like you are actually using, like you're filming in 3D from the beginning, but like you said, it's also incorporating some of the elements of conversion of 2D to 3D. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit about about the, well, which one would you like to tackle first?
0: Well, I was thinking that one of the things that's important to note here is is yeah. that live action is much more difficult to convert to 3D than computer graphics for the reason that you just brought up, which yeah. is in the computer graphic uh, version, you can do things with the computers to yeah you know create a different camera angle uh you know so that you would be able to do that a little bit more readily than you could with live action so i think we should probably start with the traditional method of doing live action because 3d movies have been around for quite some time since sure. the 1950s
1: sure uh yeah uh, like you were saying with the the just to to Tag on what you were talking about with the CGI movies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the wonderful thing about CGI movies, if you're a filmmaker, is that you are not limited by the laws of physics. Right. So you can create a camera angle that is the ideal angle uh, uh, to go with the other camera shot. So you know mm-hmm. you can you can create two camera angles where the lenses would be the the perfect length. Uh, or the perfect distance between the two in order to create the 3D effect. Whereas in the real world, most cameras are bulky and you can't get the lenses physically close enough to, uh, to mimic what you would see if you were standing there. Um, it's, it's called the interocular distance. Okay. It's the distance between your eyes. Now, uh, before we get into the actual physics of, of f- shooting, um, I was just going to quickly mention that the average interocular distance for a man is about 65 millimeters. For a woman, it's about 63 millimeters. And for a child, it's about 51 millimeters. So the average interocular uh, distance used in 3D filming is about 64 millimeters. And okay. most, most cameras, you just can't get two lenses that close together because the camera the physical bulk of the camera prevents it so for example if you had two red cameras which Mm -hmm. you know we talked about that in the past those are the really high definition cameras
0: that's a brand name yeah yeah not a description
1: right exactly thank you thank you yes when i'm saying red cameras i'm not talking about the color red i'm talking about uh, a brand uh red all in caps uh if you were to get two of those and set them next to each other, the closest you'd be able to get the lenses is about 125 millimeters. So that's almost twice the distance as what you would need if you wanted to create kind of a natural looking effect, uh, that was easily translatable into stereoscopic vision, mm-hmm. um, once you were finished. And, uh, so that's a problem. There, there, are, and there are ways around that, but we'll get into that. So you were going to talk about some of the historical 3D films, or at least the historical methods. Well, just a little bit of it. Sure, um, sure. Yeah, I mean, traditionally
0: the way to do this, since the the uh, at least according to Britannica, the uh, typical distance is between two and a half to two and three quarters inches, which, as you were pointing out, is about six point four centimeters to seven centimeters. There you go. Um, you know, there there are a couple different ways of doing this. You could put a couple different cameras side by side, although, as you pointed out, that can be difficult. Mm-hmm. Or you can use a camera with two lenses, mm-hmm. um, which seems uh, awfully specialized and probably very expensive compared yes. to some of the other methods of doing this. Um, actually, the, the very first film, according to Britannica, again, uh, to be u- made using the natural vision process was Buona Devil in 1952. Huh. Um, although there were there were some experiments uh, done in the 1920s and 30s uh, sure. using 3D, but uh, it was Edwin Land. You know that name? It should sound familiar to you.
1: Huh. I, it's not ringing any bells.
0: He uh, he created a, a polarizing uh, material in 1932 that the natural vision method is based on, and that's the the kind that of glasses that we were talking about earlier, not the anaglyph red
1: and. Blue slash green slash cyan. Yeah, um, these are the lenses that look almost like they're sunglasses, but they are not sunglasses. No, they're not. Do not wear them as sunglasses. Yes, they're polarized. Yes, and he was the uh, inventor of the Polaroid Land camera.
0: Ah, gotcha. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was he was one of the the people who were working on this, and that that was you know a long long time ago. But uh, you know that's uh, that's sort of water under the bridge, and there were a lot of. People trying to do this, mm-hmm. um, you know, back when the natural vision system came out, mm-hmm. 3D became big for a while, and oh, yeah. a lot of people made a lot of very bad 3D movies.
1: But it seems to move in cycles. We talked about this, I think, in our 3D glasses podcast as well about how 3D films s- seem to come up as a gimmick for uh, like every twenty to thirty years because they were they they got really big in the 50s, mm-hmm. and then they kind of you know I, the, it, the processes just were not. Refined enough for it to really take off. Um, it just it came across as a gimmick, and then they had another resurgence in the '80s, uh, which that's the era from which my quote uh, uh, derived. Right. But uh, then this time the quotes don't stop at the edge of the podcast. That's right. Uh, so the nice. So the uh, yeah the <laughs> the '80s had another little resurgence of, of uh, 3D, but again the 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 techniques still weren't. Truly refined, and so there were some problems, and I guess we'll talk about that in a little bit too. Uh, and then now we've got to the point where digitally we're able to uh, to correct some of those problems and 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 head off some of those problems, so that we really have reduced the the uh, the factors that made viewing 3D less than a pleasant experience for some people. Um, and I guess I guess I can hit that really quickly right now, uh, if since your brain is is creating this picture in your head mm-hmm. and creating this illusion of three d uh, if stuff is not aligned properly on the screen, your brain has trouble with that
0: right, so, so it has to be done just right or it's not going to it 's going to not work in the opposite way it's not not just going to be not convincing it 's going to actually be upsetting
1: yeah, kind of like the way for example here's here 's a very simple way where it can it can really mess with your brain uh, we're not we can handle horizontal differences, you know, where, where you're shifting the image to the left or to the right a little bit. In fact, that's what 3D is all based on. If, if we didn't shift the images, then you wouldn't get the 3D. Right. Uh, vertically, not so much. You shift an image, so one image, set of images is slightly higher than the other. That's gonna, create a really weird distorted field for your brain to handle and that can actually make audiences uncomfortable and and sick or give them eye strain or headaches and a lot and because the early early methods of creating 3d films didn't always have everything match up just perfectly i mean you're talking about using physical cameras and physical film to create two different versions of the same image um that that meant that just a tiny misalignment could cause an entire audience to start yakking, uh, very much like uh, the Stand By Me uh, infamous scene. Uh, anyway, so you don't want that to happen, as it turns out. Uh, it's not great publicity to say that, hey, audiences have been throwing up at this film for 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 weeks now. Did um, it work for the Blair Witch Project? Uh, it worked for me. Uh, anyway, so uh, but that wasn't a 3D film. Don't write us. So yeah, but the, but there was a motion.
0: Remember the uh, the camera? Yes,
1: yes. The, 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 the uh,
0: idea was it was supposed to simulate somebody walking around
1: with a, a handheld video camera, right? And the motion made people sick. Yeah, so did because it was yeah. bouncing around. Yeah, and- Cloverfield did the same thing. Uh, there there are quite a few handheld films out there now, and I think people are starting to get a little more used to them. But yeah, you might want to take a Dramamine before you go into the theater for that kind of thing. That is not medical advice. By the way, that's just me making a joke. Um, anyway, so <laughs> just heading off the emails. Uh, so yeah, if now that we have the digital approach, it's a lot easier to correct for these problems. So that we've really reduced the the factors that create things like eye strain and and um, make people nauseated. We've managed to el- maybe not eliminate them, but dramatically reduce those elements. Right. So. Yeah, so you're talking about the, having two cameras next to each other or a camera with two lenses. Um, there's also uh, There are also other ways that you can try and get to well, – additional ways that you can try and get the 3D effect. Okay. So let's say you're using two cameras, and you cannot get these two cameras close enough to get to that ideal interocular – distance right uh-huh. uh, so what you might want to try and do is you'd have to find a way to direct the image the light in such a way so that it looks like the two lenses are next to each other okay. so you might have to use prisms and mirrors and mm. a really really uh, elaborate camera by camera rig uh, these things are, are bulky they make shooting much more difficult so shooting in 3d is a difficult and expensive process. Yes. You know, you're either going to need specialized equipment, so that's going to cost more, like you said before, or you're going to need twice the equipment that you normally would need because you're going to need, you know, two cameras instead of just one for every single kind of camera shot that you're going to be doing. Uh, And you're going to need specialized rigging or, you know, mirrors or whatever. And those all have to be set up just right because if you have a mirror that's not aligned properly, you're not going to get that stereoscopic effect. And then, of course, there's a, a further argument you can have. Do you have both cameras shoot in parallel? So, in other words, both cameras are facing directly forward. Or do you arrange it so that the cameras converge slightly because our eyes converge? True. So, if you want to have the cameras converge, you have to set that up. And it's a really exacting, precise process. And if you get it wrong the effect is going to be ruined. So shooting in 3D is really complicated and really expensive. Uh, there are those who will argue that it's the only way to get 3D right.
0: Yeah, and the thing is, really, when, when you get right down to it, there's nothing inexpensive about 3D because the conversion process is also very expensive.
1: Yeah, it can be up to the, the general rule of thumb in the industry for converting a 2D film into 3D is $100,000 per screen running time. Wow. So yeah, a 120 minute movie is going to cost 100,000 dollars times 120. And so that's yeah, you start you start adding up and you're like, wow, that's really expensive. It's still cheaper than shooting it all in 3D. Um assuming that you again, that you're shooting live action. Uh well because again, CGI, we've already mentioned that you could just create a a virtual camera and get that effect uh all on its own. Uh so CGI is easy, comparatively speaking. It's still going to take a lot of time. It's going to take up a lot of hard drive space, and it's not like you know, it's not like it's a walk in the park. But compared to the problems you face from doing live action, it's it's fairly simple. But let's talk a little bit about the conversion process of 2D to 3D. Okay,
0: yeah, I was actually going to mention especially to your point about how much it costs um the company that did the conversion for Alice in Wonderland yeah. is that company called N3 mm-hmm. and uh it can charge it charges something along the lines of $50,000 to $100,000 per minute of time right. needed to do that so you think about that in terms of you know per screen yeah and you're thinking this is really not cheap
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you can I guess you do it once for a master and then you run copies mm-hmm. but at any rate the uh wow. the yeah it's expensive it's and expensive and the process stuff. is is complicated because what you have to do is let's say you've got you someone gives you a film and by mm-hmm. the way uh, you can do this yourself I'll tell you at the end of the podcast about a um, a program that will allow you to convert 2d movies into 3d movies um, using some uh, some open source software. Uh, It's pretty cool stuff. It takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of processing power. So if you've got an older computer, this is probably not something you want to try because unless you don't, you know, need your computer for three or four weeks. Um, But converting 2D to 3D, the first thing you do is you've got this flat image. Right. Because, you know, it wasn't filmed in 3D. Right. So you have to divide that image into a series of layers. Okay. And it's generally between two to eight layers. Okay, two layers would be the bare minimum because, of course, you know you need to have that those two layers to create that that sense of depth. And really, the number of layers you have per frame depends upon how much stuff is on screen at that time.
0: Yeah, that
1: makes sense. So there there was a great example. Uh, I read about this uh, on on Slate actually. Uh, there was a great example of uh, talking about a guy standing in front of a brick wall. That might just be two layers that you create there. Sure. um, Or or two or three. And so once you've figured out what the layers are, next an artist has to go in and outline the object uh, that is, you know, that's going to be at a specific depth. Um, so every single object in the image has to be outlined so that the computer program that you're going to run this through will be able to to calculate what depth each image needs to be in. And then you kind of turn every single image that's on that uh, – or every single object that's in that image, rather – into kind of a topographical map. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah. So this is what's telling the computer which parts of that image are, should be closer to the eye of the viewer. Uh, because, of course, in a three-dimensional object, some bits are going to be closer to you than others. So let's say that you're looking at uh, an airplane head-on. Okay. The nose of the airplane is going to be closer to you than the wings of the airplane,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: So you need to make sure that uh, you you design this topographical map so that the computer realizes oh the nose is the front that's what that's what needs to be closest to the eye so we're going to shift that this much for the two images whereas the wing is further back we're going to shift that a different distance to create the proper illusion of depth
0: mm mm-hmm.
1: you have to do this frame by frame yes and it's that's why it gets really expensive because it it it's a process that requires both manual work and computer programs it's mm-hmm. it's not something that you can just you know you can't just chunk a 2d movie into a well you can but it doesn't necessarily work you can't just chunk a 2d movie into a computer program and expect a great 3d film to come out
0: no it's it's, it's got to be done slowly and, and carefully yeah which is probably why it's so expensive yeah um, the uh the n3 process uh starts with their pre pre-vis- visualization or mm. previs program and then they uh they actually use a technique they call dimensionalization which well okay it's pretty self descriptive but um during the uh the process the they get the directors involved and uh what they'll do is they basically can control the depth uh, shape and perspective of different objects to tailor the Image, what's there now to the screen size that it's going to be shown on and, and to give people, you know, for example, IMAX versus a regular size, regular ish sized movie screen. Not like there's anything that's particularly regular about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, they have control over, over that and maybe one scene doesn't need so much three-dimensionalization to make it appear 3d and another requires more so they go in and scene by scene frame by frame they have an opportunity to to take control of that um, they actually have a, a soft a particular software package that they use their own homegrown stuff called intrigue um, but yeah I mean it, it allows them to stay consistent shot to shot and then they go through a, a depth grading uh, process that mm. uh, you know it allows them to do the screen size. Things so they can have control over everything, and it's, that's just a, another reason why it takes so long. But the, the studios that do this, m um, three, uh, and there's another one called Prime Focus that's based in uh, Mumbai. Uh, they're the ones who did Clash of the Titans, by the way. Yeah, uh, cost about four point five million dollars. The to less said about that, that film,
1: the better. That.
0: According to the Hollywood Reporter, I read an article by uh, Carolyn Giardina.
1: Yeah, uh, and uh,
0: so I mean. They they all have their own proprietary way, and they, they sort of tell you what's going on, but they don't really get into, if you will, in-depth on the matter.
1: Let, let's talk about some of the problems of converting 2D to 3D, because there are some. Uh, Quite a few. Uh, and the, There are directors out there, James Cameron among them, who are adamant yes. that this approach is flawed and results in... Uh, bad movies, or at least technically bad movies, not necessarily that you know the script is bad or whatever, but technically it is visually is, visually, yes, it is it is uh, an inferior product. And Cameron will argue that shooting in three d is really the only way to go right now because our conversion process just isn't good enough. And some of that is understandable because some movies that have been converted to three d were never intended to be in three d in the first place.
0: Well, yeah. Actually, he—it's uh, kind of ironic in a way because he's partially to uh, to blame—not blame, but he's he's partially the reason why everybody is rushing to make 3D movies right now because of the success of Avatar.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, when you think about everybody it, that makes to... it makes perfect sense from Hollywood's perspective because sure. shooting and uh, releasing a 3D film means you can charge more.
0: And it's it's <laughs> capitalizing on the 3D craze right, right now. And right. Everybody's excited about it, so they want to. Yeah, you know, so so
1: it's do easy- another one. It's easier to make a lot of money uh, because you don't have to sell as many tickets to make as much to make a huge box office. Uh, but as well as the fact that it's cashing in on a craze. Uh, so some of the problems with converting 2D to 3D is is if it wasn't shot meant if it wasn't meant for 3D mm-hmm. you may not be getting that you know the the 3D effects that you see may not be that that good the the sense of depth may not really be there because it wasn't intended to be there that right. wasn't part of the original vision another problem is that uh sometimes if the if the conversion process is a poor one and sometimes it is you end up with what looks like a bunch of cardboard cutouts that are at different depths so there is a sense of depth but there's not a sense of three dimensions mm-hmm. and and I've seen this happen with a lot of uh, software that converts 2D photos to 3D photos in real time. Yes. And it looks like, yeah, it looks like, hey, that's not Bill. That's a cardboard cutout of Bill. But the cardboard cutout of Bill is closer to the camera than the cardboard cutout of Sarah. It, mm-hmm. It's not at all convincing, and it's actually distracting. That guy uh, always left me a little flat to begin with. Ha-ha, <laughs> such a two-dimensional character. Uh, the, uh, and another problem is that these films are shot uh, – the 2D films may be shot with a certain idea of what the, the, the level of light needs to be. Mm-hmm. Well, when you convert it to 3D, one of the problems is that if you're using the polarized lenses, that means that the image you're going to see is already going to be a little darker than what uh, was necessarily intended originally. Mm-hmm. So you end up with scenes that are darker than the director had intended. This was a big problem, one of many, for Avatar The Last Airbender – there were scenes that were shot at night that you could not—you couldn't tell what was going on because by the time you had the glasses on, it made the shots so dark that you couldn't see anything. Right. Um, now I'm going to wrap this up really quickly. We've pretty much covered how this works. Yeah. I, I did mention that I was going to talk about how you could convert your own, like, convert 2D movies to 3D movies. Sure. There's a there's this great program called Avicenth. A V I S Y N T H, and it's uh, it's free. You can get this. It's actually kind of a codec more than anything else. Uh, so.
0: Uh that's a, which means it plugs into uh to something like Windows Media Player and allows you to read files that have been encoded with.
1: Right, you're right. It's not it's not technology. its own it doesn't have its own user interface. It's not like you would run this program and something would pop up. Um I got this, by the way, from Maximum PC. So if you yeah, want to article that. Did you? Yeah, yeah. It's uh article by Alex Castle at Maximum PC. Um the article title is How to Upgrade Your Two D Movies to Three D. So if you want to look into it in detail, I recommend checking out that article. But in general what it does is it Provides you a, a uh, so the ability to to create 3D films. You have to grab some code, uh, and the the article tells you where to go to get the code. It's from a 3D Vision blog, mm-hmm. and when you put this code in. Uh, you can actually convert a 2D film into 3D. It'll create two sets of images. Uh, It's it's designed to work with NVIDIA's 3D system. So you need the NVIDIA uh, graphics card and NVIDIA glasses in order for these to work. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it also has a setting where you can switch it to anaglyph if you want to. Oh nice. So you wouldn't in that case if you just switch it to anaglyph, you just need the anaglyph glasses in order to view it. Uh but keep in mind that when you're viewing stuff with anaglyph glasses, that means that the color is going to seem a little off. Uh it's not yes. going to be as vibrant again. Um so there are some issues. And just like we were talking about with the three D conversion thing, if you're using polarized glasses, or really it's the the activated shutter glasses, it may be a little darker than what the movie was originally intended to be. So you may have to adjust your brightness settings in order to be able to see everything properly. Right. And that may affect the quality of the film. But yeah, check that out um, if you are interested in doing this yourself. Remember that it's going to take a lot of processing power and a lot of uh, uh, hard drive space if you want to save these. They actually go into an, another open source program that will allow you to save the films because Avicent is really a real-time conversion thing. It's not designed to save the movie that you've converted. It's just designed to con- to kind of do the conversion on the fly. Mm-hmm. If you want to save it, you're going to need to use a separate set of uh, programs and codecs. But Maximum PC spells that all out, and the 3D Vision blog also does. So, if you're interested, check that out. Okay. Alright, that sums up our movie-making technology 3D podcast Spectacular. I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you have any questions, or you want to hear more about this stuff, or you got a totally different topic you would like to hear us talk about you can write us our email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com and chris and i will talk to you again really soon if you're a tech stuff
0: fan be sure to check us out on twitter tech stuff hsw is our handle and you can also find us on facebook at facebook.com slash hsw For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you